right, well, good evening, everyone. It's great to see you tonight. Are you excited to be here? Praise the Lord. Well, we are in for a real treat because my friend Mitch Glazer from Chosen People Ministries is here to share with us, and he's going to be leading us through an actual Passover Seder meal. And our church is so blessed because we have a long history with our founding pastor, my dad, of, of being brought into some of the depth and layers that unlock new meaning for us as believers in Yeshua, in Jesus, as we look at at the Bible through a Jewish perspective, through a Jewish lens. Because we can't forget, Jesus was Jewish, right? And so the Bible was written from a Jewish perspective, through a Jewish lens, from a Jewish background, a Jewish context. And so with all of the feasts and all of the customs and all of the, the words that are even used in your Bible, as you get to know and become familiar with the flavor of the Jewish people, it unlocks all kinds of new meaning uh, regarding your relationship with the Lord. And so I, for one, am so excited to have Mitch Glazer here with us. And uh, as I said, he's with Chosen People Ministry. They're a worldwide organization, and they specialize in reaching out to Jewish people with the truth of Yeshua. And uh, I'm so excited. Will you join me in welcoming my friend Mitch, who's going to be sharing with us tonight? Am I on? Am I on? Shalom. Great to see you. Good to be here. Good to be anywhere but Brooklyn where I live. But I'm impressed with the beauty of this uh, wonderful area. Um, my uh, GPS got me lost on the way here, which was great because I usually just take the highway and I had the most amazing tour of North County. And, uh, and uh, so I want to move here from Brooklyn. The only problem is you don't have enough Jewish people. You have some, you know, but I need to, I need to walk across the street to get a bagel. I can't drive, you know, so. Well, we're going to celebrate the Passover. We're walking, our, walking into a very, very holy season of the year. And um, it's hard for me because I, I will make jokes at times about all this, because Passover, you gotta have a feel for Passover. Passover's fun. I mean, we're not slaves in Egypt. You know, that's good. Okay, and, and so there's a lot of fun in Passover, and there are jokes woven into the Passover service, and there are songs, we're gonna sing some songs tonight. And so the whole idea is to have a little bit of fun, but also to get the story, because the story is from promise to freedom, from bondage to hope. So there's just so many wonderful things in Passover. So how many of you have actually been to a real live, genuine, sit down with your Jewish friend kind of Passover service? Okay. Did you eat the matzo bowl soup? Did you like it? Okay. All right. Daniel says he, his mother-in-law makes the best matzo bowl soup. I contest that. My grandmother's is better. I know. I just know. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Passover, we'll be talking about a Passover Seder, which is a, basically the rituals and the, um, 
the various ways we communicate the truth of the Passover, instead of just sitting down and reading Exodus 12 all the way through, you know, in the King James, which gets boring for children. And so we play games, we, we have symbols, we do all sorts of things. And so we're gonna go, we're gonna go through it. Uh, so some things might be unfamiliar to you, so I wanna help you feel familiar and feel comfortable uh, in this, okay? So how many of you are Jewish tonight? Raise your hand. Okay. All right, well, you know, all three of you will be, uh, will be very familiar with it all. So how many, so you've been to a Passover, some of you, but uh, let me give you a quiz. It, it, this is a sophisticated group, even more sophisticated now as I wandered through the wilderness of Rancho San Bernardo or wherever I am, you know, <laughs> North County. So uh, you've seen the, pic, the painting of The Last Supper by da Vinci, right? Italian uh, painter? Okay, good. And uh, so can you just see it in your mind's eye? You got it? Okay, you can see it. Okay. So what were Jesus and the disciples eating for dinner at the Last Supper? Leavened bread? Mark, you got to be kidding. You're married to Lita and you say leavened bread? Okay. Well, it's true. It's true because it, those loaves are definitely leavened. So da Vinci was off there. So, but what was the main course? Who said that? Okay, you've seen this before, right? <laughs> How many of you think it was lamb? How many of you think it was ham? <laughs> There's one. There's always one. It was fish because da Vinci thought Jesus and the disciples were good Catholics and they ate fish on Friday night. That's why. And then, of course, you've got these fluffy loaves of white bread. Jews don't eat fluffy loaves of anything on uh, Passover. Some of you are looking forward to Passover. I'd like to avoid it for the next few years because I know what I will be eating during that week. I will be eating matzah, unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. And if you had to eat it for eight days, you would know why it's called the bread of affliction, okay? <laughs> so da Vinci was a great artist, but unfortunately, da Vinci was far from his Jewish roots. I wish Pastor Daniel was there to speak to da Vinci and to explain to him that if you're gonna really understand the incarnation, which is God becoming flesh, what kind of flesh did God become? It was Jewish flesh. And so God became a man, never losing his divinity, but God became a man, but it was a Jewish man. And so in order to understand our savior, we have to understand him as being Jewish, don't we? And when we see the events of scripture from the vantage point of a Jewish savior, then we are getting closer to him. Understanding the Jewishness of Jesus is a way of drawing close to the Lord. So that's what I want to do tonight. This was one of the most momentous occasions in the lives of our Savior, wasn't it? It's in all the Gospels, but in the Gospel of John, you have the upper room discourse. Well, what were they doing in the upper room? All of the material we learn about the Holy Spirit took place in the upper room. It was so important to Jesus. The Passover is important to every Jew, 
and it was important to Jesus as well. So I remember when I was, uh, um, I, I feel funny talking about the Jesus Revolution movie here, because you like where it happened, you know? Some of you, some of you were, were any of you in the revolution? I mean, some of you? Usually I can tell by the eyes, okay? So I, I was partially in the revolution, but I was up north. I was a nice Jewish boy, fled to San Francisco at 17 years old, and eventually became a believer when I was 19, because my two best friends became believers. I tried to talk them out of it and lost the argument. But in the process, I said, God, show me the truth. And so I was working in Pescadero, California. Anybody know where that is? Artichoke country? Yeah. So there's a Christian camp there, but I didn't know it was a Christian camp because I was working for the Marin County Board of Education, which were filled with Christians, you know. And so, yeah, he got it. And so I asked God to show me the truth, but I really, even if I knew it was a Christian camp, I wouldn't know what a Christian camp was. I mean, I was raised in Jewish camps, but I really don't know what a Christian camp is. Anyway, so I prayed, asked God to show me the truth. Wouldn't touch the New Testament because, you know, that's a Gentile book. It's an inspiration for anti-Semitism, so I never would touch it. At least that was what I thought. But there I was, asking God to show me the truth. It was late at night. There's one phone booth in this entire campground. And there on the ledge, glowing in the moonlight, a lot of things were glowing for me, but this really glowed from moonlight, you know, little beams one at a time. There was a copy of a book called Good News for Modern Man. I didn't know what it was. It had this funny newspaper-like covering. Picked it up, started looking at it. The chapters were weird. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, whoever wrote, writes a book like that. But I knew, eventually I knew it was Jesus because there were little like uh, line drawings in this good news for modern man and Jesus had long hair and a beard, like me, at the time. And so I identified it. So I stole the book and I began reading it and I was laying for Jesus because I, I, I knew that, if, that Jesus made my friends into Gentiles. And so uh, that's the way Jewish people think. But as I kept reading it, he celebrated all the holidays he wasn't supposed to celebrate. I mean, I honestly thought Jesus celebrated Christmas. And I thought he celebrated Easter. No way. You won't find it. He celebrated Passover, he celebrated Tabernacles, he celebrated Hanukkah. It finally came to me that maybe Jesus was Jewish. <laughs> and I was fighting with the Jewish Messiah who was Jewish about not believing in him because I didn't want to not be Jewish. <laughs> So I read the New Testament about two or three days. It was a modern English version. So I, and I needed that at that time. Still need it. And it was a wonderful, wonderful revelation to me that Jesus was the Messiah. A lot of Jewish people have a lot of trouble believing in the divinity of Jesus. I went right for it. For some reason, I just understood it. That if he had to do what he was going to do, he had to be God in the flesh. And if anybody was like God, it was Jesus. And so I, I, for some reason, didn't have a problem with that. 
And so from the very beginning, the holidays were important to me. Because in, in, for many people, the holidays tell you how to categorize various people when it comes to faith. If they celebrate Christmas, they're probably not Jewish or Muslim or Hindu. If they celebrate Passover, eh, chances are they're probably Jewish. And so the holidays are important. But the holidays for me really were transformed when I began to see the holidays in light of Jesus the Messiah. So this presentation is called Messiah in the Passover. So we're going to focus on him tonight. So <clears throat> we're going to begin uh, with uh, the lighting of the candles, because that's very typical of all Jewish holidays, because when we light the candles and we see the lit candles, it reminds us of the Shekinah glory, the presence of God filling the Jewish home so that we can worship in the presence of God. And so Lita has voluntold me that she's going to light the candles. Now her Hebrew's better than mine. Besides, I feel awkward as a man lighting candles. However, I don't think Jesus used this. Where are you, Lita? Can you use one of these things? Okay, good. You want me to do it so you can hold the mic? You do it? Good luck. Barukata Adonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Kedshianu B'mitzvotav, Betsibanu Lehiot Or Lagoyim, Benatan Lanu Et Yeshua Meshechenu Or HaOlam. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by his commandment, and who had commanded us to be the light to the nations, and who had given us our Messiah, Yeshua, the true light of the world. Amen. Thank you, Lila. Yeah, that was a little better than I would have done. Now, the leader of the Seder, who's usually grandpa or dad, uh, wears a ceremonial robe. Uh, Mark, can you take this for me? Thank you, brother. Yeah, it's got money. Yeah, but they're checks, so you can't cash them. So, I was raised in what's known as a modern Orthodox home. My grandparents were very, very European, very Orthodox, and my grandfather wore this kittle, this robe, not this exact one, every year during the Passover, and I always wanted one. It's a symbol of priesthood, because white is a symbol of purity, and that night the leader of the Seder is a priest in his home, leading his family to God. White also, sometimes in Judaism, is a symbol of royalty, and that night he's a king in his home, usually the only night of the year gets close. <laughs> My grandfather never would have messed up the buttons, though. He was a tailor. Get this second do. Boy, I'm having a hard time here. My 
grandfather would not be happy with us. Okay, good enough. There's a lot that's going on right now, not just me trying to do this, but what's going on is a transformation of the home because the leader of the Seder is now a priest. The table is now as if you've walked into the temple. And this is the, anything from the showbread to you name it, but it's the temple. It is transformed into a, sac, a sanctuary, a temple. And so now all of a sudden, what was every day becomes holy. And then my grandfather, and this was the part I loved the best, he would always wear this hat called a mitre. Some of you guys are really jealous right now, I know. <laughs> all right, now we have everything set. Again, it's all about the symbols, and it's all about what the symbols mean. And so we're gonna go, we're gonna tell the story through the symbols. It was created and developed in a way for Jewish people so that the children would understand the Passover. Jewish people have an understanding that I think the church could really use, and that is you're always one generation away from everybody forgetting about faith. So if you don't pass it on, Lador Vador in Hebrew, generation to generation, you could lose the whole thing. And so there's so much intentionality about training the children. In a, in a Jewish home, in a Judaism. So Jesus was trained that way. At one time, he was a Jewish child. Um, I'm reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Now, traditionally, we use a Haggadah. A Haggadah, is called, Haggadah means the telling, and this is a Messianic Jewish Haggadah. It's not very long. And uh, sometimes they can run over 100 pages because a Passover Seder could last four, four and a half hours with the meal and everything. So we're not going to do the meal, so we're, we're only going to be about three hours tonight. <laughs> but the Haggadah is the guidebook. So the question is, did Jesus have a Haggadah? My guess is that he had some sort of Haggadah because what he goes through in Luke chapter 22, for example, one of the great Last Supper passages, is very similar to what we do. So I'm going to go back and forth between the Jewish Haggadah and Luke chapter 22. All right? Let's establish that it was a Passover. Verse 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. So in Leviticus chapter 23, we learn about two festivals that are rolled into one. One is seven days, one is one day. The seven-day festival is unleavened bread. The one-day festival is Passover. Jewish people wrapped it all up into one happy package. It lasts for eight days, and we just simply call it Passover. But on Passover, we eat unleavened bread. Matzah. Verse 7. Now the first day of unleavened bread came on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So you see, that was the Passover, the one day. But it would last eight days total. And lo, that was a uh, spam call on my watch. What a day we live in. Now the first day of unleavened bread came on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And so 
Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that way we may eat it. They said, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you, follow him into the house he enters. You shall say to the owner of the house, the rabbi says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He'll show you a large furnished upstairs room, propound it, prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. Now the question is, did they go shopping? Did they roast the lamb? What did they do to prepare the Passover? Because over and over and over again, we hear about the preparation. I'll tell you what they did. They may not have done it exactly the way I was raised, but we prepare the Passover by getting rid of all the leaven in the house. Because leaven is a symbol of? And so we purify the home. Again, purity is really important to the whole festival. And so we get rid of all the leaven. Now, there are two ways that you can do this. First of all, it's a mother's honor and privilege and job to clean the home of all leaven. I've been telling my wife that story for a long time. <laughs> all right, so we mix it up with spring cleaning. But it works. It, it works. So we get rid of all the leaven. Now, you can do it a couple of different ways. In, in really, really orthodox Jewish Brooklyn, the men gather up all the leaven from their wives, and they bring it down to a bonfire in a metal barrel in some godforsaken place in Brooklyn, and they throw all of the leaven into the barrel, and then they set it aflame, and all of the orthodox sections of Brooklyn during the week before Passover will all smell like burning bread. I love the smell. The other way you can get rid of all the leaven is you can simply throw it in the garbage or there's a more economical way of doing this because this could be many loaves of bread, Cheerios, all sorts of things. You can box it all up and sell it to a Gentile. It's true. It's true. But you get a good contract. You don't need a lawyer, although for Jewish people that's not too hard to find. But, but you, you basically negotiate a contract where you get it all back afterwards. You think I'm kidding, but no, we really do that. And, but the point is that you get rid of all the leaven and you only eat the unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread is very symbolic. It reminds us of the purity of heart that God wants us to have. And so I would highly recommend that when we come to Passover, the first night is on April 5th and it lasts eight days. I would, if I were you, I might try a couple of days. Listen, it beats Lent. It's really good. You can try it. And so, Calvary Chapel people don't do Lent, I know, but some of you might. But you can do Passover. It's really great because every time you eat a crunchy piece of this unleavened bread, instead of regular bread, it reminds you of the holiness that God wants you to have in your life. So every time you eat something with bread, don't eat the bread, eat the leaven. Try it for one day. What could it hurt, right? You would, you, you would help a lot of uh, Jewish firms who are selling matzah if you do that. So, so unleavened bread's important. Then we sit around the table and we begin paying attention uh, to the various items. And so during Passover, we take four cups of wine, hence four cups. Now, this is miraculous because this was wine that turned into grape juice. I, I, I don't know how that happened. It's kind of a reverse miracle. So we have four cups of grape juice now, 
And every one of these cups means something, and again, it tells the story. So the first cup is the cup of blessing or the cup of sanctification. We set aside this night as special. Second cup is the cup of plagues, my favorite. The third cup is the cup of redemption. I'll explain it to you. And the fourth cup is the cup of praise. And so each cup has its own meaning. In the Last Supper, we only see Jesus taking two cups. But we know from Jewish tradition that there were four cups. And we know from the way we currently do Passover, there are definitely four cups. So Jesus takes the first cup. And we read in verse 14 of Luke 22, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table. We, we lean as we eat on pillows because we are royalty. We are a redeemed people. We are princes and princesses. And so we lean and sit on pillows, and, uh, but we don't let it go to our heads. So when the hour had come, he reclined at the table, the apostles with him, and he said to them, I've eager, eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he'd taken a cup, he gave thanks, and he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. So this is cup number one, the cup of sanctification that sets this night apart. And I'm going to say the prayer, maybe almost exactly as Jesus did. Who knows? I'll ask him when I see him. But it could be close. I'm going to say the prayer, but it's going to be in Hebrew. I'll translate it. But I want to teach you the choral response to my prayer. All right? So you're, you're now going to be my Levitical choir. So it goes like this. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Here's your response. Oh, some of you are jumping the gun. Okay, it goes like this. Ready? Try it. Amen. It's almost like you've said that word before. Okay. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who created the fruit of the vine. Cup number one, the cup of blessing. Then we take cup number two, but you won't find it in Luke chapter 22 or any other instance in the, uh, in the Haggadah, in, 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 in the New Testament. You will find it in the Haggadah. It's possible Jesus didn't do this, although if if it were me and I was Jesus, I would do it because this cup is really fun. It's called the cup of plagues. Now, why is it fun? Well, it's not quite fun, but yeah, it's fun. So what we do is we dip our pinky into the cup of grape juice and we drop a drop of the wine or grape juice onto our plate. We do it 10 times and every time we do it, we announce one of the 10 plagues with tremendous enthusiasm. Okay, this, this little thing is designed to scare the daylights out of the children <laughs> and your neighbors. So it goes like this. Blood! Blood. Come on, Mark, you can do better than that. Okay, listen, I want you to recite the plague after me with great enthusiasm at the top of your lungs so that your neighbor jumps, okay? Blood! That was great. Frogs. Frogs. Vermin. Vermin. Mixture. Mixture. Boils. Boils. Hell. Hell. 
Locusts. Gnats. Yuck. Gotcha. <laughs> now, don't lick your pinky. If you do, the rabbis say you get all the plagues. It's true. Every Jewish child learns at a young age that when you harden your heart and you sin and say no to God, then God brings judgment. It's an important lesson. I never forgot it. I would say because I was raised more traditionally Jewish, on the one hand, I was probably further away from Jesus because I was more steeped in the religion. But on the other hand, I think I understood stuff that my far more secular Jewish hippie friends never understood because I did understand sin. I did understand the consequences of sin. I just didn't care. But that, where did I learn it? In part from the Passover. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam borei peri agafen. Amen. All right, you got the hang of it. I'm going to call attention to the Passover plate. On the plate, we have each of the items I have over here. And uh, you can come up and look at them later. And there will be plenty of uh, items here for you to taste afterwards as well. There are some that are better than others, but I think that you'll enjoy it. So remember, these are symbols. These are supposed to tell, us, tell the story, like the cups. So the first item we take is partially the symbol of life, dipped in salt water, the symbol of tears, because life during the Egyptian bondage was bathed in tears. Bondage is always tempered by tears. And so we eat, young and old, no matter how old you are. If you can eat, you can eat it. Delicious. The second dipping uh, we take is really one of my favorites. It's called haroset. Try that. It comes from the gut. Okay. So this is my grandmother's recipe. Chopped apples, chopped walnuts, little honey, little cinnamon, little Manischewitz, grape wine, kosher for Passover. Must be Manischewitz. And you just stir it all up, and then you toss in a dash of imagination, and you've got it. Can you see what it means? The symbol? Yeah, neither could I. So, it refers to the mortar the Jews used to build the bricks in Egypt. And the question is asked by the children, why do we remember a bitter experience with a sweet mixture? Grandpa, as one of the sages of Israel now, responds and says, son, when redemption is near, even the bitterness of slavery is sweet. Great, huh? We know the Lord's coming soon. He is. He really is. And because he's coming soon, you know, life is filled with difficulties, as you probably know. Life is filled with difficulties, but you don't have to be bitter. You can be sweet. Because you know the Lord of all is coming and he's going to straighten everything out. That's the good news, right? So I'm going to taste the haroset, but, but I need to borrow some children uh, to who will volunteer, like Natalie, uh, will volunteer to come and taste the uh, haroset. Do we have any other children? Um, how many of you are under 15? Raise your hand. 
Thank you for volunteering. Come on up. That was, it was so nice of you to volunteer in that manner. Oh, come on, it's, it's worth it. Listen, this is better than an ice cream sundae. Natalie, you've had this before. It's delicious, isn't it? Okay. You don't remember the taste. Okay. You will remember the taste of this and other things. Okay. So, Natalie, take a little bit here. Are you allergic to nuts? Good. Okay. Are you allergic to nuts? Okay. <laughs> Never thought I'd have to ask that. But okay. Here you go. All right. All right. At the count of three, eat. One, two, three, in the mouth. Yum, huh? It's good. Good? Okay, this one's better. The second dipping here is horseradish. You're a missionary kid. You just take it on the chin, okay? Okay. And so, we eat horseradish to remind us of the bitterness of slavery. You'll like it. It's we, it reminds us of the bitterness of slavery, and that's why we eat it. Also, we like to torture our children because our parents tortured us. So, Now, we take enough to make ourselves cry. So, Natalie? That's too much. Are you sure? Yeah. Would you want me to eat it? You can eat that one. <laughs> Such a nice kid. You, pro you were probably lived in Brooklyn. Okay, here you go, Natalie. There you go. It's good. Hold on. Wait for your friend. What's your name? Nadia. Nadia? Oh, that's a nice name. Okay, Nadia, here you go. You want a lot or a little? A little. Okay, here you go. All right, at the count of three, eat. One, two, three. Right in the mouth. There you go. It tastes like cherries. Tastes like cherries? Oh, let me give you more. <laughs> How is that? Good? Yeah, let me try it. Mm, that's pretty good. Now, listen, I have, I have something for you guys. Because people got you to come up here, right? So whoever encouraged you to come up, like that guy with the beard right there, Natalie, give him this as a gift from me. Okay? okay. Yeah, give it to Mark, yeah. He's going to like it. And your friend right over there. Would you give him some, please? Okay. All right, let's hear it for the volunteers. My grandmother ground her own. It was wicked. Now, <clears throat> this egg uh, is probably added to the Seder plate after Jesus. You'll never find this in the New Testament. But the egg was added after the destruction of the temple because the Jewish people were mourning the destruction of the temple. Eggs are laid every day. Sacrifices are offered every day. The egg is roasted brown. Sacrifices were roasted. So we take a hard-boiled egg, we crack it, and we dip it in salt water, the symbol of tears, and we eat it to remind ourselves that even though we are free from Egyptian bondage, we're not totally free because our temple lies in ruins and we're still awaiting the Messiah who will come, bring us back to the land of Israel, restore the temple, and restore our sacrifices. That's the egg. And then we come to the 
shank bone of the lamb. Now, Ashkenazic Jews, Eastern European Jewish people, which I am, uh, do not eat lamb at Passover. Sephardic Jews, those from North Africa, or parts of Spain and Latin America, they will eat uh, lamb at Passover, which makes Ashkenazic Jews right. So we eat, we do not eat lamb at Passover. Um, but we clean the bone, Grandpa raises it, tells the story of Exodus chapter 12, the tenth and deadly plague where the firstborn would be killed. Remember this one? And so God gave an antidote to the plague to the Jewish people and said, take a spotless, unblemished lamb, this is all in Exodus chapter 12, kill the lamb, watch it for three days, make sure it's perfect, kill it, pour its blood in the basin, and with hyssop leaves, take the blood of that innocent, perfect lamb and put it on the lentil and the doorposts of the house. And then God himself would pass through the land of Egypt, striking dead the firstborn males, but would pass over every home that was protected by the blood of that innocent lamb. I'm just curious, how many of you are firstborn males? Just raise your hand. Yeah, well, you would have been dead. <laughs> just want you to know. And so the Jewish people were obedient. And they took the lamb and they, they smeared the blood on the doorposts. And God spared the firstborn sons. But little did the Israelites know that God was creating a portrait from their actions. This part of the portrait may have just been a black and white outline that was filled in just a little bit more in Isaiah chapter 53 when we learn about the servant of the Lord who would suffer on behalf of the Jewish people and the world. And then in the New Testament, we come face to face with Yohanan Hamatbil, John the Baptist. Jesus called him the greatest prophet there was. And John said in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Boy, I wish I was on the banks of the Jordan when that happened. But I don't know what I would have understood. Maybe I would have thought about Isaiah 53, like a lamb led to his, to his slaughter. Maybe I would have thought about Exodus 12 as the beginning of a glorious portrait that would become full-dimensional and colorful with the coming of Jesus and his sacrificial death at Calvary. The Lord wove a story through Scripture, and the Lamb of God will not only have been slain, but one day he will reign. That's at the end of the story. And today, when a man or a woman or a boy or a girl by faith applies the blood of the Messiah Jesus to the doorposts of their hearts, then the wrath of God passes over us. And we pass from death into life because we're forgiven. And the Lord takes our sins and moves them as far away as the east is from the west. When he hung on the tree, the crucifixion stick, on Calvary, he said, it is finished. Not that that's all there is, because brothers and sisters, there's a lot more coming. But that was the end of it 
when it came to our salvation. He died for our sins. End of story. When we accept him as our savior, it's almost as if we've never sinned. We are totally, thoroughly forgiven for sins before and after. I don't know if you've accepted Jesus as your Messiah or as your Savior. But if your soul is unsettled, if, if you're looking for a peace that you just can't find in any, anywhere else, the reason you can't find it is it's just not available on planet Earth. The peace you're looking for is knowing that your sins are forgiven because that ushers you into an intimate, personal relationship with the God who created you, who loves you, and sent his son to die for you. And so I'm going to ask you to bow with me for a moment. And for those of you who have never embraced Jesus as your Messiah, I'm going to pray a prayer. And in the quietness of your own heart, if you would follow this prayer with me, and if God is tugging on your heart this evening, just let it go. Don't fight. Just say yes to Jesus. So pray with me. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I know that I need you. My soul hurts. Lord, I know that you're the truth, and I, Lord, and so often I'm empty. And Lord, I, I know that I, I have sinned. I've done what you didn't want me to do. I've broken your moral code and my own moral code. And so, Lord, I, I ask you to forgive me because of the shed blood of Jesus the Messiah. And I accept him as my, as my Savior, as my Lord, as my King. I give my life back to you because you gave me life. And I ask you to walk with me all the days of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you did pray that prayer tonight, let me know. I'd love to hear it. I'd love to pray with you. Tell Pastor Daniel we'd love to pray for you. And we'll probably have some things to give you, like maybe even a Bible. So just let us know. Now, I'm just going to take a quick break, and then we're going to go to the end of the story because we have two more cups. And we have the matzotash, the best part. So don't get up and leave. But um, may I take my hat off for a second? All right. This book, so this is my commercial announcement. This book, Messiah and the Passover, is the favorite, my favorite book that Chosen People has produced, because this is everything you ever wanted to know about Passover, and even chapters that you didn't want to know about Passover. This has the whole enchilada, uh, leaven-free enchilada. <laughs> and so this book is on what we call the Maranatha Discount. 20% off. Well, of course, you have to know what it really costs to get 20% off. But it's only $20, and it usually costs more. 
So that will be on the back table. So when, please, uh, we, don't, we have a limited number. We're about to walk into this season of the year. Take advantage of it. You will learn so much from that book. And then we have a younger brother called the Gospel in the Passover. <laughs> this is how to use the Passover in sharing the Gospel with your Jewish friends. And so that'll be on the back table as well, along with books on prophecy and all sorts of other stuff. So please go back there. But I, I do have one special thing. I mentioned Isaiah chapter 53 because that's been such an important passage to Jewish people in finding Jesus, the Messiah. And so I wrote a little book called Isaiah 53 Explained. I know it's a, a pretty dramatic title. And, uh, but basically it explains Isaiah 53. And so this book will be in the back, and I don't know how many pages it is, almost 200, 157. So this book will be in the back, and this is a great book to read, be blessed, and then it's a great book to give to a Jewish friend. So I hope that you'll, you'll get one of these. You can get this book for the price of zero, absolutely free, but I'm gonna trade you. Give me your name and address, or at least your email. Put it down on a piece of paper so we can bombard you with communications. <laughs> hey, listen, you're gonna get bombarded by other people. You may as well get good stuff. And so, uh, our newsletter for me is like having a baby every month. <laughs> we all put so much work into it. Uh, but um, hopefully it will mean a lot to you. It will fuel your prayer life. It will help you understand what God's doing among the Jewish people today. We cover the holidays, prophetic themes. We just did one on anti-Semitism, the plague of anti-Semitism. Uh, this next one is, is all, you won't get it, but it's all about Passover. And, uh, and it has reports of the wonderful work that God's been doing through some of our chosen people staff in Ukraine and during this season. Uh, we, just, uh, we just sent over thousands of dollars uh, to Ukraine to buy boxes of matzah. And it's a joint project between chosen people ministries and some Orthodox Jewish groups. Don't ask, don't, I can't explain it. But uh, we're good at getting matzah. And so uh, we will be distributing uh, matzah all over the place in Ukraine in the middle of a war. And so, and with every box of matzah comes the gospel. And so do pray for that. So Isaiah 53 is, is a great book. Now, this is a matzotash. It's a pouch, has three compartments, and there's a lot of uh, back and forth about what the three but one, three sections but one compartment mean. Sounds suspicious, doesn't it? Too bad Jewish people do not believe in the Trinity. So if this was supposed to be the Trinity, the Jewish people didn't know it. <laughs> But there is something that they did know, and that is it refers to either Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac is a great, wonderful type of Christ. He died, in a sense, and rose. He really points to Jesus. So I'm happy with Isaac. 
But also, Judaism teaches that it's the unity of Israel. God, the priests, and the people. The priests stand between a sinful people and a holy God. So here's what we do. We take out the middle piece of matzah, which I happen to believe is the piece of the priest. We break it. We put a portion of it back. We then play a game with the children. We wrap it, tell the kids to hide their eyes, and then grandpa sneaks around the house and finds a nice place to hide the piece of matzah. And so he hides it. It's now called the afikomen, which is a Greek word. How a Greek word got into the Seder, we don't know. But it means that which is to come afterwards, or dessert. And at the end of the Passover Seder, we send the children back out to go find the missing piece of matzah. And then whoever that lucky child is who finds the piece of matzah gives it back to grandpa, and grandpa has to pay them. Currently, they take Zelle, they take Venmo, they take credit cards. <laughs> you know, there's no escaping this. And so grandpa pays them off and redeems it from them, then takes a piece of the bread and gives a piece to everybody at the table. Let me explain. The middle piece of matzah, the piece of the priest, unleavened bread, without sin, broken, wrapped, hidden, brought back, and distributed. You see it? In Luke chapter 22, verse 19, Jesus implemented it because I think he saw it too. And when he had taken some bread, matzah of course, and given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're reminded of his purity without leaven, that he's our priest, that he was broken for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again. And that is the real meaning of communion. Then we take the cup after the meal, specifically after the meal, so we know which one it is. The third cup, the cup of redemption, Redemption means to be purchased out of slavery and set free. Redemption always involves a price. The price in the book of Exodus was the shed blood of that innocent, perfect little lamb. But no longer are we talking about the shed blood of a little innocent animal. Now we're talking about the shed blood of the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Lord of all. Because Jesus raised the third cup after the meal and poured new meaning into the third cup. And in verse 20, we read of Luke 22. Well, you know the verse, but I'd rather read it. In the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, the one after the meal. And he said, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is a symbol of the new covenant. Jeremiah chapter 31. God said the day would come when sins will be put far away and the law would be written on our hearts by his spirit. I remember the day after I got saved, I woke up in the morning and I didn't know if I was gonna still be Jewish, but I figured out that I was. But what struck me the most 
that first morning was that all the stuff I would have usually done that was sinful just put a bad taste in my mouth. I didn't, I wasn't so self-disciplined to stop. I didn't want to do it. Because when I accepted Jesus, I was ushered into the new covenant. My sins were forgiven and my heart was transformed. And that can be your experience again if you've never accepted Jesus. And this cup reminds us of this transformation and the price that God himself paid by sending his son to the cross. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Peri HaGafen Amen Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine and who grafts us into the vine, who attaches us to the Lord himself and gives us abundant life. The fourth cup is the hallelujah cup. It's the praise the Lord cup. I mean, what do you say when you know that your sins are forgiven and the spirit of God lives within you? What do you say? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's the only response you can have to being overwhelmed by his grace. And so we take the fourth cup. You ready? By now you have it memorized. Baruch atadonai Eloheinu melech haolam Borei peri hagafen Amen. Well, I do hope that this season of the year will be rich for each and every one of you, for the church and for you individually. We'll be thinking about the Lord's death. We'll be thinking about the Lord's resurrection. And we'll be thinking about the relationship that we have individually. It'll be a time of reflection. It'll be a time of sorrow at times, but it'll be a time of great joy. And I pray that Maranatha will just explode with joy during this season of the year. We have so much to be thankful for. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you so much and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for this incredible, rich understanding we can have through the Old Testament symbols of your death and resurrection, of who you are as the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And we pray, Lord, that each and every day you would remind us of what you've done for us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to live for you because you died for us. In Jesus' name.